Now on view at SCAD Fash, Manish Aurora's Life is Beautiful. Renowned for dazzling designs and a rainbow of colors, Manish Aurora has brought the talent and craftsmanship of India's rich sartorial history to the global forefront, earning international acclaim on runways across three continents. Designing in India since the 1990s, Aurora's glittering garments celebrate extravagant expressions of self through varied materials, techniques, and silhouettes in a triumphant union of Western and Eastern aesthetics adapted to today's multicultural society with a touch of humor. Find out more at scadfash.org. Support for WABE comes from 100 Miles, a nonprofit committed to preserving Georgia's 100-mile coast. Protecting this critical coastal ecosystem takes all of us. Watch the stories of the innovators and future leaders who help keep our coast flowing at OurGeorgiaCoast.org. In Atlanta, this is City Lights. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for listening. Keith Stewart is his given name, but as a dancer and choreographer, he earned the name Step. Now, after 30 years of performing, Step Stewart returns to Atlanta with his celebration of the holiday spirit a soulful Christmas. Later this hour, we'll hear about creating his family-friendly show, coming to the Porter Sanford Performing Arts Center in Decatur. First, the nine-time Grammy Award-winning trumpeter Herb Alpert is performing at the Variety Playhouse in Atlanta on Monday, December 5th. Beginning in the 1960s, Albert was the band leader of the Tijuana Brass and co-founder of A&M Records, one of the most influential independent record labels in the world. His extensive career earned him 15 gold albums and 14 platinum, even outselling the Beatles at one point. In 2012, President Obama awarded him the National Medal of the Arts. Before he hits the stage in Atlanta with his wife, the Grammy Award-winning vocalist Lanny Hall, Herb Alpert joins me now via Zoom. Welcome to City Lights. Oh, my pleasure to be with you. Now, you grew up in a musical home. I read your dad played the mandolin, your mother played the violin. When did you become interested in playing the trumpet? Well, you know, I had this lucky experience in my grammar school here in Los Angeles. There was a music class and a table filled with various instruments. I could have picked up a trombone, a clarinet, well, they didn't have a violin, but they had, you know, most other instruments. I happened to pick up the trumpet and I couldn't make a sound out of it. I thought you just blow hot air into the instrument and it doesn't work like that. But there was something about the the shape of it and the, the weight of it that just worked for me. And over a, actually a short period of time, you know, I started making a sound out of it and I realized 
that the trumpet was talking for me because I am a, an introvert. I'm a card-carrying introvert. And as soon as that trumpet started making a sound, it was kind of speaking for me instead of me having to you know, form the words. The horn was, was doing it. So it became a great friend of mine. And you mentioned you mentioned my family. You know, I'm, it's a strange time for us right now because my father was born in Kiev, and he brought with him when he was 16 years old, not speaking a word of English, came to this country with his mandolin. Didn't read or write music, but he had a a, a feeling. You know, when he when he was playing, you know, his nostrils would flare and. I don't know, he would just, you know, play these songs that meant a lot to him. And I always think about that because it, it ain't what you do, you know, it's the way how you do it. It's not about technical facility or anything else. It's about desire and passion. And my dad had that passion for the mandolin, although he wasn't a professional. He was a, a designer of ladies' coats and suits, actually. That was his uh, trade. Oh, my. The Lonely Bull was your recording debut. Even though you performed all the instruments and even some vocals on the album, you released it under the name Herb Albert and the Tijuana Brass Band. Why not your name solely? Well, it was my partner's idea. My partner, Jerry Moss, he was the M of A&M. Uh, he wanted to come up with some little more of a hook type name. And I used to go to bullfights about three years in a row to Tijuana, which is not that far from where I live. My partner, Jerry, would oftentimes be with me. And there was a brass band in the stands that I, I kind of took to. It wasn't a mariachi band. It was just a band that was playing these fanfares for the various events during the bullfight. And I had an idea to try to um, put that feeling on, on tape. Genesis of the Lonely Bull, but prior to that, you know, I mean, things have been really wild because when I started in this business, I'm going to really date myself here. I had a Webcore wire recorder. Oh my. <laughs> this was before magnetic tape. And then I had a tape machine. I had a one track tape machine and then I got a two track tape machine. But I had, at one point, I had two tape machines. And I was listening to that record by um, Les Paul and Mary Ford, How High the Moon. And Les used to you know, layer his guitar many times on the tapes, you know, going from one machine to the next. And I tried doing that with the trumpet and all of a sudden I hit on this sound and it's, it was like almost bingo, <laughs> that's a good sound. And that was the, basically the sound of the, uh, the Tijuana brass. But my partner thought, you know, the Tijuana Brass is a nice hook. I wasn't crazy about the idea because I, I don't want to be an imposter. I, I was, uh, you know, not making music from south of the border. I was making music, you know, that I was feeling. 
But uh, you know, the name took off, and, it, and I guess I don't know. In the retrospect, I often think would it would I have had the same success without that name? And uh, you know, I can't really answer that question. I think you would have, but I don't think it's imposter-like in any way because that bullfight and being there in Tijuana in the bullring certainly helped you discover this voice. One of the things I love so much about that song is not only do you capture the feeling of the old Spanish music along with the Mexican sound, but it feels very much from the bull's point of view. And I just always just feel so sorry for bulls. I think it's such an awful thing, bullfighting. And uh, I don't want to say I cheer for the bull because I don't want anybody to get killed, but I don't like that the bull gets killed. And that song makes me feel like you're inside the bull's mind. Well, I absolutely agree with you. I mean, since going to those fights, I uh, totally 100% agree with what you just said. After recording The uh, Lonely Bull, I played it for a, a disc jockey friend of mine here in Los Angeles, and he said, that's nice, but where's the hook? I said, what do you mean the hook? It's an instrumental. He says, no, you need a hook. You got to find a way to, you know, get people to listen to it. And so I, I thought about the hook idea, and I had a, a friend at one of the record labels. He had a, a tape of about 30,000 people screaming ole at a bullfight. And I asked him if I could use the tape. He said, but by all means. And I put that right at the front. You know, there's that fanfare, and then you hear the yes. scream ole. Well, after I put that sound on it, I played it for my disc jockey friend who said, man, you hit it. Bingo. I love it. The rest was history. If you are just joining us, this is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes, and my guest is the musician and co-founder of A&M Records, Herb Alpert. Let's talk some more about A&M. No less than Peter Frampton said, if there was ever the perfect label for a musician at that time, it was A&M. They, meaning you and your partner, Jerry Moss, they wanted the artists to become themselves. Now, the roster is astonishing. Janet Jackson, the police, Joe Cocker, just a few of the big names recorded with the A&M. What were you and Jerry looking for in a musician when you decided to sign them to the label? Ah, oh, you're, you're throwing me easy questions now. <laughs> you know, I recorded for a major company before A&M, and I didn't like the way they were treating me. I was a number. I, when I was recording for them, it was like a seven, two, six, three, take two, you know, and I, it was, I didn't feel wanted there. I just felt like they were just, um, it was very mechanical. And when we started a and it, 
AM was about the artist. I, I wanted the artist to feel free. I want great artists to be able to explore their own talent and, and not having anyone, you know, standing or sitting over at the top of them. And when I signed the Carpenters, that was um, one of those signings that the people in my own company at the time, this was 1969, they thought, oh, man, why'd you sound, sign these kids? They're so cute and they're, you know, the, the music is a little fluffy. I said, well, <laughs> give them a chance. Let them, let them, let, let's see what they can do. And I gave them that song of uh, Close to You. And, and actually, the first recording, I said, you guys have to record this again because uh, I think it's not radio friendly. It doesn't have a, it needs some more oomph, a little more energy. And, and at the time, Karen, God lover, was playing the drums and she was a fabulous drummer, but she wasn't a recording type drummer. So we got, you know, the right guy, the, the wrecking crew on this recording. And, uh, you know, it became a big record and opened the door for the Carpenters. But we always gave artists a chance to, you know, flag themselves down to the runway, find their own groove. And uh, it was always good. I knew we were going to be successful in 1964, we signed Waylon Jennings. He was a disc jockey and a musician in, in Arizona, Phoenix. I used to go down to uh, Phoenix and, and record Waylon uh, every, every couple months and did this one recording of him called Four Strong Winds. It was a song written by Bobby Bear. Four strong winds that blow Seven seas that run high All these things that won't change Come what may But our good times are all gone And I'm bound for moving on I'll look for you if I ever find this way It was a really good recording and the time I wanted to take Waylon, I wanted Waylon to be a little more pop, and Waylon really wanted to be a country artist. And my partner Jerry and I both thought we would let Waylon out of his contracts because it it was in Waylon's interest. And so I remember the day we signed his release. My partner actually signed it, and I looked at him. I said, "Jerry, this guy's going to be a big star," and he said, "I know it." And we let him go, and it, it gives me goosebumps just to tell the story. But I think. That was the feeling I got. I said, if we can be that honest with our artists that we have and be that upfront and, and that uh, interested in them and their career, we're going to be a big success. And that was uh, the, the door that opened wide open for me when I really realized we were onto something special. Well, not only honest, but eclectic and I guess you'd say embracing. I think that the formatting of radio stations destroyed so much originality or at least so severely limited what listeners could appreciate. I mean, you weren't going by one genre. And similarly, radio stations at the time when you came upon the scene you're still upon the scene, but radio stations in the 
decades when you were topping the charts all the time, played a wider range of songs. Uh, you're right. I mean, radio stations were pigeonholing types of music. You know, if they like guitars for a while there. And often I brought in trumpets for a, a period of time. But, you know, they were so concerned with a particular style of music opposed to, I remember when I played in England the first time, there's a station, I forgot what it was called, but it was unbelievable. They were playing classical music. They were playing uh, Charlie Parker and, uh, and Coltrane and, and, uh, and Marvin Gaye. You know, it was just a, it was just a big mix of, of music. It's all about music, you know, what, what touches you. And that's probably the way it should be, I guess. But I got really fortunate making a decision because after The Lonely Bull happened, our distributors said, why don't you guys just take the money and run because you got lucky with this record. And I was thinking, I got lucky. What do you mean? It was a good record. I'm, I'm, I, I'm not going to make the, the Lonely Bull sideways. I'm going to go and see what else I can do with this sound that I developed. And that's uh, the genesis of the Tijuana Brass. I mean, I, I, I went through various types of sounds and uh, I think I'm, I've been fortunate to be able to pick on good songs, good melodies that resonate, and I, I try to do them in a way that's uniquely special for me. If I'm doing a song that is familiar with others, a standard song, I try to do them in a way that they haven't been done quite that way before. I, I feel very fortunate that I followed my, my dreams. I read something you mentioned in an interview that trumpet happened to be popular or appealing at the time you came upon this scene. I'm thinking back to the sound in the late 60s, early 70s, groups like Chicago and Blood, Sweat, and Tears, where brass was just such a fantastic component of their style. And then, I don't know, other than Motown, you're right. Why did, why did brass start to appear less in rock songs well I, I think it's the radio stations that disappeared you know there were a lot of stations that were able to play whatever they felt you know warranted to be played you know when i did uh, in 1979 when i had this record rise there was a disc jockey in new york frankie crocker who played that record like two times in a row, sometimes three, and he would sell it. I mean, I had I, I didn't give this guy anything. I didn't even know him, you know, but he loved the record and he was selling it. And and that's that doesn't happen anymore. It's it's all done by computers and uh, you know, 
see what types of music people are listening to and they pile that onto the radio and it's become a little mechanical and before it was more of a human way of uh, playing the music that appealed to one. I mean, that's, this is what's so interesting for me is that music is in, in, all arts are in the abstract. I mean, it's like you can't really put your finger on. If you say you like, and I appreciate what you said about uh, the Lonely Bull and other music that I made, but I don't think you can actually identify it clearly what it is about the music that touches one you know uh, I, I listen to music uh, and 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 try to find the reason why i like certain artists and i i really can't i can't i can't say I, yeah i like their personality I, I like their tone i like the song they picked out but i, I can't really put it into words one night i happened to play with louis armstrong and I, it was it was an aha for me because the music that came out of this man's trumpet was just the same person that I met. The the personality, the, his whole thing was coming right through his horn. I was saying, well, man, that is really, that's an artist. That's somebody who is really doing what he claims to be doing. He's playing himself. And uh, it was a big deal for me to hear that. And I've always tried to do that. I always tried to be I'm not thinking myself as am I as good as, and it does that doesn't matter because Miles is a great jazz musician, but he can't do what I do, <laughs> and I can't do what he does. So it doesn't mm -hmm. really matter. The title of your new album, Sunny Side of the Street, pays tribute to Louis Armstrong. It sounds like that was an extraordinary experience for you performing with him. Well, it was. And, and to top it off, he was very human, very unpretentious. He was funny. He was intelligent. I interviewed him on this TV show and we were taking a break. I leaned into his ear. I said, man, I know a lot of your friends, you know, you come up with uh, Satchmo as your tag. But I said, what do your friends call you? He, he looked at me, he said, Irving. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Yeah, I don't know. But he was, he was a hoot. And he was a, just a lovely guy. I mean, he was he was an artist all the way. Right down to the core. You know, he did, the music that came out of him was coming out in a sincere, passionate way. a mix of original songs and covers. Which covers on Sunny Side of the Street are you most excited for listeners to hear? Well, you know, I really don't even think that way. I just try to play music that makes me feel good. I can't play a song unless I have a feeling for it. So if you're asking me if I have a favorite, no, I don't. I, I always put my housekeeping seal of approval on all, all the records I release. So I, I like them all. So in Atlanta, you will perform with your wife, Lonnie Hall. I read 
December 15th marks your 48th wedding anniversary? Uh, actually, it's going to be 49. We, 49? We, yeah, we've been married uh, three times, three different ways. Got married with a rabbi, got married with a priest, and uh, we married ourselves. So, yeah, she's she's an angel. Lonnie changed my life. I met her uh, when I signed Sergio Mendes in Brazil, 66, to A&M, and that was in 1966. Yeah, she's she's so special. She's uh, makes my life, uh, gives me energy. I love her. Would you talk about performing on stage together? What do you enjoy most? What I enjoy most is is doing it. We do around 52 concerts a year, and we've been doing that for the last 14 years. And I know this might sound odd to the listeners, but I get energy from doing it. I mean, people say, why, why at your age are you still traveling around? And anyways, I love the process. I love playing with these great musicians that are behind us. There's something that um, I need to do. It's a passion. It's not something uh, I have to do. And also, I feel somewhat of an obligation. I know I sold a lot of product, and there are a lot of people that get energy from what I can do, what I play, and the music. I try to put out there, you know, positive energy music. So I know a lot of people enjoy that, and it's a win-win for me. I get to do what I like, and I get to um, make a certain amount of people happy with what I do. So I feel like I'm going to be doing that as long as I'm able to do it. So it's a win-win for me. Well, we look forward to welcoming you to Atlanta and hearing you and your wife, Lania Hall, in concert. Herb Albert, thank you very much. Oh, my pleasure. So nice to be uh, chatting with you. award-winning musician Herb Alpert. He's performing with his wife, vocalist Lanny Hall, at the Variety Playhouse on December 5th. More information is on our website, wabe.org slash citylights. In a moment, We'll listen back to my conversation with dancer and choreographer Step Stewart ahead of his upcoming soulful Christmas shows. Amplifying Atlanta, this is WABE. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, 
we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. This is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Wrights. It's great to have you along. Keith Stewart is his given name, but as a dancer and choreographer, he earned the name Step. Now, after 30 years of performing, Step Stewart returns to Atlanta with his celebration of the holiday spirit, A Soulful Christmas. The production opens tomorrow, November 29th, and runs through December 4th at the Porter Sanford Performing Arts Center in Decatur. When I last spoke with Step in 2017, I asked how he went about creating this family-friendly Christmas show. It actually was created in my front yard in 2007 when I lived in Philadelphia. And I actually just, I'm a Christmas head. I'm that person, (laughs) I love it. The day after uh, Halloween, I start playing Christmas music. So I said, let's put on the show, just like a little rascal that I am. And I um, actually invited everyone to come and perform at my address, but I didn't tell them it was my home. And I actually had used the car lights as as stage lights. And I passed out flyers to everyone in the neighborhood, and people came, and it was great. Because we had also done Thriller in the Front Yard um, during the Halloween. And people came. I came out of girls. I had smoke and the whole bit, and we ended up on Good Morning America. It was crazy. But it uh, it was a lot of fun. So I decided, okay, let's do something for the holidays. And it ended up being, if you look at my playlist from my old iPod, um... It's called Front Yard Christmas, and it turns out to be what is most of it is a soulful Christmas today. And it involves some little children and some time travel. What is it with Christmas and time, time travel? travel? You know, the magic of Christmas is just it's all put together. It's, it's about time and going back in time. This musical is about two small characters called uh, small as in young. Uh, <laughs> two small uh, young children, Destiny and Julius, brothers and sisters, and they go to their great-grandparents' house on Christmas Eve, and they're told a bedtime story, and great-granddaddy pulls out a watch and says, ah, it's getting late, but yet Julius wants to play with the watch, and they say, no, no, if you rub this watch the right way or the wrong way, it will turn back the hands of time. And what do you think the kids do in the middle of the night? Tippy tippy paws, they rub the watch, and they find themselves back in 1942 at the Cotton Club Christmas Eve. Wait, now, are they old enough to be at the Cotton Club? No, it's basically a history lesson, but because they, <laughs> no one sees them but other children. Oh, you like that? You like I that? love that. Part. So as they go through the decades, they don't meet, uh, they don't actually interact with other children until the 80s, when they get to the 80s. So they're able to make the watch move them forward. Um, and they see, and listen to the acts of that decade. Like, for instance, they'll see Nat King Cole doing chestnuts roasting at the Cotton Club. They'll see the Cotton Club cuties, who are the chocolates. They see the um, Ella Fitzgerald doing Don't Mean a Thing. And then they get to the 50s, they'll see Frankie Lyman doing Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree, Mahalia singing Go Tell It on the Mountain, and so forth and so on. You mentioned the chocolates. Yes. Who are they? Tell us about them. They are a delicious bunch of young women. Um, I named them the Chocolates um, to rhyme with the Rockettes. 
I had worked with uh, so many Rockettes in New York, and a few African-American ro- um, Rockettes were there, but I said, what would it be if I put together a whole troupe of uh, multiracial dancers that favored the Rockettes? And I came up with the chocolates, and they were an instant hit. They've been on the Dr. Oz show with me twice. They're just, they're beautiful. They're, I call them ambassadors of goodwill. Then they have these beautiful costumes, and they just do choreographed dance routines that I put together. So in honoring the tradition of the Rockettes, but also updating them by making this multiracial you're giving the ensemble a 21st century take. Yes. Why not add men? You know what? That's never out of the question. That's never out of the question because I have the, there's plenty of men in my cast who would love to be a chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> they love the chocolates, you know? And, and even the, the, the girls and the boys, they all, who are the children in the cast, the kids ensemble, they actually are always following the, the chocolates. And the, I tell the chocolates, I say, if you get hired as a chocolate, you are someone to look up to. That little, Every little girl, and I say to them, and some little boys, would dream of being a chocolate. So it's so ironic that you asked that question. Well, I'm curious about that style of that style of dancing. I read it it's referred to as precision dance. Exactly. The precision dance it's actually something that the Rockettes were actually borrowed from the Rockettes, the Rockettes who used to dance at the Cotton Club. I did not yes. know that. So the the name was actually also borrowed. So the Rockettes, so the Rockettes. Ah. And so they were a bigger hit downtown. Radio City. They took off Yes, absolutely. But the precision dance, who doesn't love a great marching band, you know, a great drill team, but this is something special because it's, um, my background is musical theater, Broadway. I'm a Broadway guy. So I want it to be to the T, to the letter, from wig to shoes to rhinestones. I love it. Mm. I I get a kick out of all that. So we get all the glitz and the glamour was Busby Berkeley? Berkeley. Oh, was yeah. that also called? I love anybody who knows who Busby Berkeley was. I love it. Give me an overshot. For all you listeners out there, that's the classic overhead shot you see in old movies with the legs going the same direction and the feet and the arms. Very very much like synchronized swimming. But I wish that um, the camp... You know what? The Rockettes do it with a actual mirror on stage overhead where you can see the precision like a Busby Berkeley shot. Okay, so the Busby Berkeley, that's also called precision dance? Yeah, I, I actually, I call it Busby Berkeley. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just, I don't know whether, to me, it's the shot, you know, the visual, or or the style, but I, I it's like when you say you see Fosse, you say, oh, that's Fosse, yeah. you know, and you just relish in it and you live in it, or, or Ailey. But but I precision dance is it's beautiful and it looks great on these girls, um, who had to actually learn this style of dance, you know, because um, we're all taught to be free, and move and do let your hips go where they need to. But there comes a time where you want to be together as a, a group, like a chorus line. Think of the Rockettes in color with a little bit more lip and a little more hip. Oh, <laughs> what a great description! <laughs> now, do you impose certain? Rules for them. The Rockettes no. had to have a very, very strict code. Yeah, yes. They? These these young ladies. Well, now we have social media. Your Facebook has to have family content on it as well. Um, you have to to engage with our senior community, and um, you have to be especially in children as well. So you have to, and we like our girls to have gone to college. 
or or attend at some have attended at some point, um, just to to say that they've tried to further their education, and I think it's important that they do that. And I don't care if you go to school, and maybe you you like for me, I went to the Ohio State University, um, but I got hired by the Mandrell sisters my sophomore year, so I left it, you know. But um, I came to school to be in show business, so I said, okay, I did it. <laughs> I'm in it, so it's great. Step. Tell us about the children in the cast. Are they professional? Well, they think that they are, and I know <laughs> I know that they are. To me, in my heart, they are. They are local. They're local talent, and we audition them every August, the first Saturday in August at the Greenbrier Mall. And um, people come from all over, and we love it. And they are just adorable. They're just lovely bunch of children who love love the theater. And at my summer camp, I have a, a musical theater summer camp, and I found a lot of kids there as well. Are the adults local actors? Yes, ma'am. There are. Oh gosh, there's 67 total in the cast. I don't know why I did it. I don't. I don't know why. Well, Everyone, it's that Busby Berkeley yeah, that look effect. and that feel. Go big or go home, right? <laughs> so it's very exciting as they go through the decades and we get to uh, embellish those characters and those actual real persons who made music so popular for the holidays. Did you have to explain to the children who play Julius and Destiny? What the Cotton Club was? You know, I had to explain to the entire cast, for the most part, what the Cotton Club was. I wasn't there at the Cotton Club, but I had been so blessed to to have been nurtured through um, family and through the the musicals that I had done previously, uh, like uh, Jelly's Last Jam and Bubbling Brown Sugar. Those they 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 were a history lesson. So I wanted to share that with these guys and. Um, and I would, not only that, you know, telling them who Sammy Davis Jr. was and who Ella was and the actual people. You're making me feel very old, no, Steph. I don't feel old. No, but. I think we should. We don't do enough of that because, because of the reality television. And we don't have variety shows like we used to. True. We could turn on and watch Lola Palana. We True. can watch Bing Crosby, Bob Hope, Lucille Ball. Even those names, to some of the cast, they don't know because it's not being repeated you know, we used to sit and watch reruns. We, used to, my family, would gather and watch West Side Story every year, every Thanksgiving, because it would come on. And then we would watch um, Cinderella with um, Leslie Ann Warren. So, um, but you had to wait because we didn't have a VCR; they weren't out yet. <laughs> so we had to wait for a rerun, and that was okay with us. But now you can just watch anything on your phone. So it's yeah. so I make them use that tool. I say, go watch, see who the Nicholas Brothers were, see who um, Billie Holiday was, you know, all these wonderful, wonderful, and we do also one of my favorite singers, Karen Carpenter. So we've got like two or three Carpenter songs in the show. Aww, so it's There is awesome. something for all age groups. Oh my there. gosh, there is, there is. I promise people that pretty much your favorite Christmas song is in this show. Well, we cannot let you leave, Step. You cannot leave without telling us about what it was like working out with President Obama. Oh, you found that out. I tell you, um, when I could put, when I could, I didn't hold back the tears. You know, I just wiped my face and I kept, I kept moving. How did it happen? How did it come okay. about? Okay, here's the famous story. I was at the gym in uh, Philadelphia and, and I actually, I had been working on a gig with Dr. Oz and they had given me a free membership to this gym, sports club. So I got, did my workout took my shower, started to get dressed, 
and they were talking to yeah he's coming today and he always comes when he's here and I, and I was they were just it was a very interesting conversation in the locker room and I turned and I said who's coming because okay let me back up because the night before I was driving on the highway and I saw the 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 cavalcade right oh. on the other side going the other way on I95 and I saw them and I started to cry a little bit because I was like, gosh, the president's over there. He's right there. And I can see the cars going by and this this long train of, of All cars. All 25 of yes. them. <laughs> so and the next morning is when this happened. Because this he came in for a summit and he had just gotten elected but not yet inaugurated. So everyone was still so excited, so, so excited. So he could go He could to still go. Well, he, public jail. Yeah, so they, they said, um, the president is coming. And I put those dirty sweaty clothes right back on <laughs> and I got on the bike that was actually broken to act because they shot they stopped the people from coming in so I was and I sat in the front and I pedaled and I pedaled I said I'm gonna at least get to see him walk by so he walked in and he said okay everybody let's not make this an excuse not to work out and just so and people were swooning left and right male female it was like oh my gosh he shook our hands he was so sweet and it's it was it was definitely a you uh, a presence, an amazing presence, and um, I got on the treadmill right next to him, and so he started doing what I didn't know at the time was actually a gorilla workout, where you run oh. on the treadmill and then you step out separately and let the treadmill run. You wait for thirty seconds and then you jump back on and run. So he was doing that, but he was on his Blackberry at the same time. He loved that Blackberry. Yes. Remember and he I, didn't want to give it up. No, I remember that. Exactly. And above us, you know how they have all the TVs in the gym? You watch and it was Sarah Palin was on the I'll never forget. And um and then they had the commemorative plate commercial with Barack Obama and I, I turned to him and I wanted to say so bad, should I get the plate? <laughs> it's gonna be worth something someday. Do you but, get a cut? From right, the right. So, and he was just so charming, and we didn't have much of a conversation, but we were working out, and he ran fast. I ran right with him. I'm like, I'm running with the president. So there were tears coming down for my parents who were no longer with me, you know. So it was like, it was a, it was a nice moment. No matter who the president was, I would have been honored to be beside any president, and that was like really cool. It's a part of history. The best part, do tell, is when he left. He had sweat towel. He didn't know what to do with it. So the manager at the gym said, oh, here, I'll take it. And the manager went to throw it into the, and I looked, and I was ready to do the, the classic TV show dive into the, the dirty clothes. I didn't care. And he said, no, I'm, I'm going to keep this. And I befriended him, and he split it with me on a cutter, which I have to this day. Dancer and choreographer Step Stewart his production, A Soulful Christmas, is on stage at the Porter Sanford Performing Arts Center in Decatur tomorrow through December 4th. More information is available on his website, step with two P's, stewart.com. Coming up. Our series highlighting local musicians, speaking of music, today features Herman Hitson. Amplifying Atlanta, this is 90.1 WABE.
This is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for joining me. It's time now for our segment, Speaking of Music, where we get to hear from Atlanta musicians in their own words. Hi, my name is Herman Hitson, and it's a pleasure to be here with you. I'm describing my music uh, with gospel and uh, the country. Let the God sing! I left South Georgia, or still Georgia, and my mother took me to Jacksonville, Florida. Now, that's when I began to hit black radio and all these guys, man. Uh, you would see coming down Florida Avenue or whatever, you were uh, sitting around the uh, uh, the rib joints, uh, the little juke, juke joints sitting out in front of a man with the wine ball and bust and made a slide on the guitar uh, with the harmonica in the mouth. And, and so... I said, I got to do that. And that's when I wanted to play guitar. Let the God sing! Playing, man, I would hear John Lee Hooker, Muddy Waters, and, and, and people like that, um, Guitar Slim, and BB King, and and I said, man, man, those guys playing some real blues. I didn't, I didn't really know what they called it, but but I found out it was the blues. But my interest was more so uh, with rock and roll, like uh, with the Hank Ballard and the Midnighters, and, and James Brown, and people like that. And so I formed this group. And I got with this this great group called the Stereophonics. And they had a guitar. His name was Walter Johnson. And so he began to teach me guitar. And I would go to his house, man, you know, on a Saturday morning uh, 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 during the week while the parents were going to work. And we would sit at his table. He would always have a glass of milk and a peanut butter sandwich, a peanut butter jelly sandwich for me. And we'd sit there and play. Now, the first time I came to Atlanta, it was about six to three. But I had never been to Atlanta, but I played all around Florida, most so, in little parts of Georgia. And so this guy came, the cab driver, Will Davis, and he had followed my band. Me, me and my band it was called Herman and the Rockin' Tonics. And so he came, came to me and he asked me, would I like to go on tour? He had been following my band. And immediately I said, of course, because I was ready to move, man. Because I'm listening to Jackie Wilson now and, and, and all these guys in Mighty Towns here from Atlanta, Sam Cook. I said, man, I got to do that. And I got to see these guys. And so he said, okay, the last gig going to be in Atlanta, but we're going to stop from here and work out. We're all the way, all the way there, but we're going to stop in, in Alabama uh, for a couple of months. And then we'll go to Atlanta. 
And so that's how I got to Atlanta. first song that I did on my label, Sweet Rose, and the other side was called You Can't Keep a Good Man Down. So I did that because I was showing I wasn't going to let those labels stop me. So I formed my own label, Sweet Rose, and that was in 1969. Cause I love you, yes I do, baby Suck it to me mm, oh I don't have any new releases at this time I'm working on working with the Let the God Sing That uh, recently been released You can see the video with me with me talking about this And you can look on the, uh, uh, Google anywhere And put in the Herman Hitson video let the God sing. And I would like for the people to see that and hear that. I bought flowers and candy too. But that's too slow. Yeah, I want you to know all these changes. Gospel and country musician Herman Hitson. More information about Hitson, as well as our series, Speaking of Music, is on our website, wabe.org slash citylights. This Friday, Challenge the Stats presents their holiday concert, Harp for the Holidays. Harpist Angelica Hairston, the executive director and founder of CTS, discusses the purpose of her organization. You know, Challenge the Stats was really this mission of empowering artists of color from the very beginning. And in my own personal story as an African-American harpist, growing up, representation was extremely slim as a black harpist. Three African-American harpists will perform music by BIPOC composers, as well as some holiday favorites. This concert is going to feature some unforgettable works, including new premieres by a Navajo composer, Connor Chi, as well as a new arrangement by African-American female composers, Brandi Younger, as well as Betty Jackson King, a work arranged by Mallory McHenry. This event features myself, Challenge the Stats, founder and harpist Angelica Hairston, along with harpist Mallory McHenry of Austin, Texas, and Robin Gordon Cartier of East Orange, New Jersey. The Harp Ensemble concert is at First Presbyterian Church of Atlanta, on Friday, December 2nd at 8 p.m. More information is available on their website, 
challengethestats.org. You've been listening to City Lights, our daily exploration of arts and culture. Tomorrow at 11 a.m., we'll hear about Invasion Christmas Carol on stage at Dad's Garage beginning this weekend. Plus, details on the High Museum's new exhibition of works by photographer Deanna Lawson. If you missed part of today's show, like my earlier conversation with Herb Albert, you could catch up through our podcast or on our website, wabe.org slash citylights. There you'll find a complete archive of our stories, so you can listen to City Lights on your schedule. City Lights senior producer is Kim Troves. Our producers are Summer Evans and Janine Etter, and our engineer is Shelley Canavy. I'm your host, Lois Reitzes, and we want you to connect with City Lights on social media. We're at WABE City Lights on both Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for listening to WABE Atlanta. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Have you donated to WABE yet? I know you've heard us talking about why it's important, but it doesn't have to be this big decision. You can give at whatever amount fits your budget. It can be a spur-of-the-moment thing. You already get so much out of public radio, so just go for it. Visit wabe.org slash donate and become a member right now. And thank you.